Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here today on a fine springtime afternoon, t-shirt weather, birds in the hedgerows, and I'm here in the Live Valley with author and illustrator Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. Oh, hello, David. Familiar uh, company, but the setting is altogether new. It's lovely. I know Scout Scar, which I can see across the valley, but I've actually never stood and looked east towards it. It's really impressive. Gorgeous outlook. We're standing in a lovely location. We've got a layered hedge here, wild garlic beneath it, very fragrant. Gorgeous dry stone wall made of chunks of limestone, which is, of course, we're in limestone country here. This is a really manicured, meadowed landscape. We've got all kinds of buttercups and dandelions here. But most striking of all, Mark, and the reason why we're here today... Oh, is the trees, the orchards, and their blossom white blossom of the damsons and i can see there's a paddock just below us i don't know two or three acres it's just full of beautiful trees it's lovely to see yes we're here today in the Lithe valley to talk about its nationally famous output of damsons and we're delighted to have two fabulous guests desmond holmes and hartley trotter they've lived here all their lives Yes, both in their 80s now, both with a background in farming, both born and bred here, and both who have a great passion for the damson and for for growing it. I know they've picked many, many hundreds of thousands of damsons in their time. So we'll talk about that, Mark, but we'll also talk about their memories of farming in this landscape, of community, and we'll talk a little bit about how things might have changed and also their love for this wonderful valley. Now, we're not doing what we normally do on Country Strides today. We're not actually going for a walk, um, but we're, we're going to sit on Hartley's patio, which looks out across the Lithe Valley. So before we meet them, let's have a little look at this landscape here, Mark, and you can do a, a little bit of a wander along the horizon oh, for yes. us. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Partly because you have this huge expanse of floodplain here. Yeah, it is an unusual outlook. Anybody who comes from the fens of Cambridgeshire will recognise the foreground, but what they won't recognise are the hills that rise imperiously beyond. If you're a fell walker, you'll recognise Kentmere, and uh, I can see up towards Harter Fell, and Mardale Ill Bell, and High Street, and the Ill Bell Range. So that's in view. There's some trees in the way stopping me from seeing Red Screes and the Fairfield Horseshoe. But that is in view if you move a few paces up to my left. And for folk who know this neck of the woods well, we're actually just below the open access area on Whitbarrow Scar. Which is a renowned nature reserve. Which, like Falton Fell, is just pure mountain limestone, but it's a wonderful, clinted landscape once you get up there. Gorgeous, yeah. Damsons, farming heritage, and a lifetime of memories. Let's go and meet... Desmond and Hartley. wonderful afternoon in the Lithe Valley and I am in the company of Desmond Holmes and Hartley Trotter 
Are you good friends? Yes. Yes, we've known each other a long time. We went to school together. I remember him starting school. We went to the grammar school together, didn't we, Desmond? Mm. And uh, we've both been in, involved in agriculture most of our lives, haven't we, Desmond? You've done a bit of building as well. I've, yeah. I've stuck to agriculture. So, Desmond, have you a particular farm that you associate with? Yes, we have a farm called Whitebeck. Whitebeck? Yeah. Hearty, yours is where? Mine is, is just behind where we're sitting at the moment, and it's called Howe Lodge. My grandfather bought it in 1926. It was 24 acres, and he bought it for £1,200. The family have been here ever since. Since I've started farming, we now have 110 acres or something like that, but um, that's just purely and simply by adding extra fields as they've become available. So, Desmond, would you say you were a man and boy, man of the line? More or less. I came here when I was two years old, actually, during the war. During the war? Yeah. Right. And where did you come from, the family? My father joined the forces, and uh, my mother came back to the family home at Whitebeck. At Whitebeck. For the duration of the war. But anyway, they, they split up, and I ended up farming. Well, it's done you proud. Yeah. Absolutely. But we've had the farm quite a long time. A bit longer than Hartley. <laughs> <laughs> my, my ancestor, Thomas Strickland, who lived over there at Heining, bought it in 1747 for 213 pounds. And so, uh, Hartley, how long have you lived in this valley? Well, I was born here. That's a good start. Um, and I've uh, lived here all my life. Uh, and when I was 21, um, my father had an unfortunate accident. He fell out of a tree oh. and uh, was killed. And so I had to take over the every day to run in. And um, I was courting at the time, uh, Margaret uh, Atkinson from Falton. And uh, so... The day uh, my dad was killed, we just arranged our wedding. Oh. And um, what a trauma. so it was. Oh, what a trauma. And uh, so we uh, had to buckle in and um, and do our best. And uh, I was helped enormously by my wife's father, who had a, a bigger farm down in uh, Falton near Millenthorpe and uh, it was comforting to know that you had somebody that had more knowledge than me. Quite. I like the use of the word Millenthorpe. Now, I've never heard it described like that. That's what a local would call Millenthorpe is Millenthorpe. Yeah, well, originally it was called Milthrop and that's how it was spelt in the old ways, wasn't it, Desmond? Yes, the older people always called it Milthrop. Ah, right. Mm. But if you look on the... Present day spelling, it's Milne Thorpe. Absolutely. As you know, it's a Danish word, Thorpe, meaning second settlement. Right, yeah. Okay, with a Milne. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, we're sitting on this lovely patio, which has the most remarkable outlook. I can see Scout Scar across there, and I can see in the far off distance, are those the Bollenfels? The first where the windmills is, is Old Hutton. Yes. And then you've got the what you call the Barbenfels, is it? It's the Barbenfels. And then further, further over there, you've got the actual far one, is Pennine. Now, that lovely view in the background captures your eyes, but actually your eyes really get excited, and I'm sure you guys have had a lifetime of excitement at looking at what's just below us here. We were here at the middle towards the end of April, and there you've got that blossom on these trees here. What are these trees? Well, they're so-called Westland prune damson. 
The Shropshire prunes. Shropshire prunes. Yeah. The history of the Damsons, uh, and nobody has a, a, a real explanation, do they, Desmond, for Damsons being here? Uh, I always think that the Damsons are a cross between a bullis or a, a blackthorn, but I might be wrong because some of the Damson trees are quite prickly, mm. especially when they're young. Yes, they are related to the bullis, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, but the, the first reference to Damsons in the Life Valley is <coughs> a man called Jonathan Wilson of Fell End. With a slack, but actually in the Live Valley, taking damsons to Kendall Market, mm-hmm. selling them by the pannier. A pannier is uh, is eighteen quarts, about twenty pounds, uh, and that's the first reference in seventeen twenty nine. Only one year, he sells apples every other oh. week uh, during the uh, autumn and winter, but damsons it only mentions once. Dammy sells, it calls them. That's uh-huh. the first reference. Damsels. What's the flavour of a damson? I always call it a nutty, nutty flavour. Yes, it, it's a sort of amaretto flavour, very distinct. There's a big difference uh, between the damsons grown on this type of soil, on this slope, than there is with that we have trees down in the, on the mosses and they always taste more bitter to me. It's on a... East-facing slope here, so it catches the sun all the same. Mm. It's a nice open aspect. Jimmy Inman, an old chap on there who was a, a king of the Damsons, if you would describe it as that, uh, he always maintained that his son, when he went to farm at Crook, although he had damson trees, he always came to draw well for his damsons because the flavour was better. Can you describe the colour of them? Well, they're a purplish blue, aren't they, Desmond? Yes. And uh, the bloom on them is the um, yeast with damsons. When you made damson wine, I used to make damson wine, you didn't really need yeast for it to ment. So you can make wine. What other things can you make jam? The the trees were planted to produce damsons for the jam trade. Right, yes. It's a commercial operation. Right. Starting in the 1840s, sir. And... um, 1845, the, the duty on sugar reduced by Peel. And uh, by 1870, sugar, uh, the duty was taken off completely. And it provided cheap spread on sandwiches for the working mill towns of uh, Lancashire and Yorkshire. Early on, how many orchards were there in this particular valley? Well, every farm and holding would have an orchard. And I reckon there were about 16 or 18 holdings in Lyth alone. Uh, and similarly in Crossway. I counted them up the other night and I got to 20 if you go down to Falshire. It's, it's intriguing how the, this particular arena, as it were, attracted them. Is there something special about the climate here that attracts them? It is sheltered, I suppose. It is sheltered. And also we had good access. We had a road, you see. Yes. And by the 19th century, uh, the railway to Kendall and then motor transport. And then the tourists came up around the Life Valley. Especially from Morecambe in my time, you know, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, about 20 coaches a day almost in summer and autumn, doing the round the lakes tour and come back by the Life Valley and stop and buy damsons. So that gave it the name of the Life Valley. Yes. Although they were called Kendall damsons well because they were sold in Kendall, you see. The buyers came to Kendall and bought them the Plum Saturday oh. in September. There was a special day where, you know, people tried to take their damsons. Because you get apples days and that picker days, but certainly there was a plum. They had, yes, there was a plum Saturday. 
Right. 70 tons or so could be sold in a day. Crikey. Mm. And the man who sold it had a plum job. <laughs> it was handy for the railways. And Kendall also had a couple of preserving factories as well. So some jam would be made in Kendall. Now, they used uh, damsons in Kendall for dyeing, I think. Is that right? I say no evidence of this, but that is the tradition. Right. I came across a reference to a, uh, a tanner in Kendall who leased his farm to a farmer. And uh, one of the stipulations in the lease was that the landlord retained all the walnut trees, walnut trees, which were important for dyeing, and the damson prunes. Ooh. Damson prunes are first mentioned in 1807. And Canon Rawnsley said that, that they were used for dyeing leather. Oh. And um, the man who leased Hundhow in, in uh, 1807 was actually a, a tanner. I reckon it's rather the leather trade rather than the, the, the cloth trade. Right, well, I'll be intrigued to know about the life cycle of the actual damson itself. Well, uh, a damson tree, to get a true damson, you've got to plant a sucker off the roots of an existing damson tree. Uh, we tried with the Damson Association to grow some from stones and uh, they came back as blackthorn because they'd been cross-pollinated by the bees. But if you get them from a root, yes. you're guaranteed a true damson. And we usually plant them when the suckers, about, the best is about four foot high. You probably wait five years before it starts to fruit, won't you, Desmond? Yes, yes. And then the trees that... I planted 60 years ago, have gone by the best nearly now. Some are starting to deteriorate. Mm. And the only way to maintain the damson orchards is to have a progression of planting. You know, as one drops, you should plant another. When I first started farming, uh, my grandfather was the owner, I was the tenant, and he came one day and I got a right telling off because he said the orchard was going into disrepair. And uh, he'd lived through the First World War, and uh, the damson crop in the First World War was an essential part because it, it was jam for the troops. And uh, just after the First World War, and when we were in our uh, youth, quite a few people planted new orchards. Dawson Fold planted a big one and John Scales planted one because the damson crop was always maintained to pay the rent. In 1950, the early 1950s, we had 12 tonne of damsons and my father's cheque was £700 and he went into Kendall and he bought a brand new tractor, a brand new trailer, a plough and a stitcher within that amount of money. So you can see how important damsons were and then of course the trade just disappeared didn't they yes judge declined as people used imported fruit rather than buying homegrown stuff so the critical time of course is harvest and how do you pick damsons pick them with a ladder and a bucket a ladder and a bucket and in the old days um, they were called plums the older people never called them damsons they were plum or plums more correctly and they were picked with a, a ladder, which locally was called a stee, which it is in Westmoreland. Yes. A North stee. word meaning ladder. And so it was a plumbing stee, perhaps 22 rooms. Yes. Joiner made tapered special fruit ladders. 
and a book it and you got on with it and you would pick about 20 score a day. Uh, they were measured then in scores of 20 pounds and they were sold in scores and half scores. Mm. Reason being that pannier system of, of 18 quarts equal to 20 pounds. They were picked and then weighed up and uh, collected by the buyers in my time, you know, the jam makers. I started picking damsons when I was about eight year old. You know, you picked a few pounds and your dad give you a few pennies for picking them, but uh, picking uh, people from same as Libby's Milk Factory and uh, some of the bus drivers in Kendall took their annual holidays just to pick damsons. And then during uh, the war, uh, there was a prison of war camp down the valley, wasn't there, Desmond? Yes. Uh, and they used to bring truckloads of prisoners in the morning there were Italian prisoners, what we had, and uh, picked damsons all day. The oh. Italians came first, of course. Oh, yes. To Biela, uh, followed by the Germans. Yes. Uh, a lot of the Italians were southern Italians who were used to fruit growing. We had uh, groups uh, under armed guard. You had a, you know, a soldier with a rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, they did very well, the Italians. In fact, one worked for us uh, until he died about uh, 15 years ago, uh, wow. ex-prisoner of war, yeah. Well, we had a German. Yes, they had a German. Heinz Zimmerlin, and he was shot down in the Battle of Britain, and he was uh, sent to the Beelich prison camp, and he came and he stayed on the farm, and uh, after the war finished, he still continued, uh, but eventually he went back to um, Germany, and kept in touch uh, for many years until he died. Right. Uh, they were p- part of the family nearly, weren't they, Desmond? Yes. There's still Italian families left in the area. I mean, there's a family of builders called Branchini, and he worked for uh, a man called Captain Millard in Crossway, who had a very big orchard. And he stayed with him and came back after the war. Mm. And uh, his descendants are still with us. Mm. When I was a boy and picking damsons always reminded me it was like a, a, a nearly like an orchestra because they were all metal buckets in those days. Mm. And, of course, when they dropped them into the bucket, there was different sounds from each bucket and, and, and you could tell how fast somebody was picking and uh, yeah. and if they weren't dropping into the bucket fast, you know, you're not doing so well. <laughs> I don't know whether it's true or not, but um, the chap what farmed at our farm before we came uh, the son is supposedly uh, picked 40 score in one day, uh, which is a lot of damsons, and it, uh, it's beggar's belief whether he did. But they said he was having to have a candle nearly to, to pick the last ones because it was dark. It was getting dark when we went round with a horse and cart with my grandfather to collect the damsons from the... Uh, but they carried on till it was dark, and sometimes the pickers would arrive in the dark. So the actual picking process, it wasn't necessarily a lonesome business. You were doing it as a team or a, a social gathering with refreshments and so on, rather like a shearing. You had as an event. With the prisoners of war, they were fed, yes. And um, the Italians were got a happy lot. And, I mean, Peter Cartmore tells of them working at Captain Millard's again, uh, where they were, uh, you know, using a banjo or a... <laughs> Or a ukulele or something. They were singing songs. (laughs) Got a bit of a rhythm going. Got a bit of rhythm, yes. Our pickers were picked by families when the prisoner of war didn't pick. And, of course, it was family occasion. The mother and father would pick the damsons and the children were underneath taking the leaves out. And uh, 
and even the babies were in the orchard, in the prams, and, uh, you know, they, they, they spent all the day in, in the orchard. They didn't go back for lunch or anything, and they didn't have a, an hour's dinner break. In those days, it was grab what you can, when you can, and as fast as you can. Just thinking, one year the Land Army girls came. Uh, they stayed at Crossway, Crossway House, and they, they picked it our place about a fortnight. My grandfather for the First World War, uh, I've got records of him uh, training land girls t to pick damsons at the high. I mean, even me, as uh, picked all my life, fell out of a blasted tree two years ago and... Uh, helicopter had to collect Helicopter had to oh. take me to Preston and... Oh. Uh, what a trip for you. And my dad was killed, you see, with picking yeah. fruit. Not good. Yeah. A chap up at Fellside, Walling, he fell out of the tree picking pears, didn't he? And There's a man called Dickinson at... Uh, Winster was yeah. killed falling out of it. Picking apples. Apples are more dangerous than plums to pick. <laughs> I'll bear that in mind then. Health and safety, of course. He, uh, by rights, you should have somebody holding the ladder and, uh, uh, you know, I mean, if you were a television aerial installer and you did what uh, we do on a ladder, uh, you'd be sacked. Well, uh, we used to have a couple of pickers and they worked for Hartley as well. And they worked as a team and because some of our trees are old and tall, uh, they would lock their ladders together, you see, where oh, they'd pick the same tree, yeah. yeah. And also, because we didn't have extension ladders in those days, they'd tie two wooden ladders together <laughs> with rope. What sort of height are we talking about? A fair height, 30 foot. 30 feet? Mm. Gosh, so when you're training the land girls, you had to avoid getting the damsels in distress. There was a land girl camp at Millenthal, wasn't there, Desmond? I think there was, yes. yeah. They were under like strict regime with some of the land girls. You know, they had a, an overseer who kept them in uh, control. And quite a few of the land girls ended up marrying farmers' sons in the valley, become uh, farmers' wives. So, in terms of the climate here, what would be the sort of ideal conditions? Now we've got late frost this year. How does that impact on you? And what is the ideal climate for them? Of course, frost is a deterrent, especially in the blossom time. But uh, one of my uh, friends, he had an orchard, and one morning there was icicles hanging on his trees with the blossom on, and he had the best crop he said he'd ever had that year. <laughs> so It's very hit and miss. Hit and hit and miss <laughs> job. But I think the, the biggest deterrent is if the weather isn't suitable, we don't get the pollinating insects and bees, and they are essential for pollinating the the damsons. In the past, a lot of the farms would have their own bees. I know we had at Whitemeck, had our own hives. Right. With the damson uh, blossom, there's all sorts of diseases and, and uh, obstacles to overcome. After the blossom, it has to set, of course, and then once it's set, uh, some of the little fruit can dry off and drop off. Uh, they can get this dreaded banana <laughs> disease, <laughs> I call Banana disease. <laughs> and uh, they are no good because uh, they go into the shape of a banana and there's no stone in. And then we used to get what they called the, the grub, and it bought a little hole in the Damerson, and they were malformed and useless. And so even if you've got a good set, there are other obstacles for the Damerson to overcome to get a, a crop to pick. And once the damson's nearly ripe and ready for picking, if you get continuous wet weather, they split and they're no good for the retail trade. It might be all right for jam, but it spoils them. We've got the orchards 
Uh, but you've got a wonderful network of fields, and I can see sheep down here. So it's quite a diversity of activity. But you can go back in time to your youth. Can you remember the horse? Most farms had horses. There were a few tractors, but most people had horses, yes. Yeah, I think in this valley, there were only, when I was a boy, there would only be about two tractors. In the early 1950s, train loads of brand-new Ferguson tractors, uh, there are pictures of it coming into Kendall Railway Station, and they were all bought to replace the horses because you had to, by law, well, during the war anyway, had to plough so much every year and grow potatoes and such like, and every field was done on a rotation basis because the U-boats were sinking our supplies from America and we were in desperate trouble, weren't we? Even people were growing potatoes on the lawn. If you didn't, you were shot. <laughs> One man actually was shot. Oh, He no. refused to comply with the Ministry of Agriculture. He was actually shot. What kind of stocking did you have? Our farm had about 10 cows and the followers, which is young stock, and we had pigs and we had hens and a few sheep. Quite a number of the farms traditionally, and in my time, went to either Kendall or Ulverston Market from here in Witherslack. And we went to the market and selling potatoes, damsons, of course, mm. and vegetables mm. throughout the year. So you got vegetables. What sort of vegetables, green vegetables, did you uh, You know, cauliflowers, cabbages, peas, particularly peas. Right. People grew a lot of peas in this valley. And they went to Kendall or, or the Windermere Hotel trade. We grew about a quarter of an acre of peas. And my dad stood, stood the market twice, Wednesdays and Saturdays in Kendall. Kendall was also a free market. They didn't pay tolls. Uh, the farmers bought out the tolls in 1864, until 1978 it was a free market. And, of course, a free market is? It's where you don't pay any charge, you don't pay any toll. The farmers, the farmers' club, actually, of Kendall, in 1864, bought out the tolls from the Lords of the Manor. Aye, with you. And that stayed till 1978, when South Lakeland Council decided they wanted to control the market and have charges and obtained an Act of Parliament. I was always told that most market towns are seven miles apart mm. and it was uh, the distance that a person could go with a horse and cart and sell his goods and return in the same day. But my granny, when she was selling butter from the high, which is just up the road from where we sat now, uh, she used to walk with a basket up into Bonus and Windermere and sell it to the shops or uh, hotels wherever they could get rid because... Uh, there was no fridges. I mean, what you produce this week, it had to be gone, or else uh, it was in the midden. Midden, yes. That's what you call a dug heap, it's ah. a midden. <laughs> yeah. Hartley, you mentioned the crop that your father was able to buy his first tractor, and you witnessed the transition there of tractors coming into the valley. Did you see that there was a big change taking place at that moment? Oh, Definitely. Uh, with a tractor, for instance, you just got up in the morning and you got on the tractor, you hadn't to go into the field and catch the horse and saddle it up and do everything, so you could get a bit of work done before you'd ever caught the horse. A set of horses could plough about an acre in a day, whereas uh, you got a tractor, I mean, it had ploughed an acre in an hour, some of them, you see. The change was inevitable because labour is an expensive commodity 
and if you could use a tractor which would replace two men, that was the option. And then, of course, when you got the tractor, it needed services and all that, so you needed extra land, uh, and that was the demise of the valley, I think, because there were 20, about 20 farms all making a living at one stage, and now there's about three or four actual... I think there's three, yeah. ..actual farms <laughs> making a living, but all this land has been amalgamated, or people from Witherslack and such like have taken some, and even the people from Langdale are coming down because it's better growing land down here and uh, and they can take the sheep off the fells and get these big grants for having no sheep on the fells and uh, they're able to pay for grazing down here. So there came a time when sugar became rationed and so you didn't have the ability to make the jam, perhaps. Did that impact in any way? We sold our damsons quite easily during the war. Uh, There's no problem. Mm -hmm. After the war... Uh, it carried on in the 50s and 60s, hardly just so. There was still a demand. And it was gradually, the fashions change. The imported food started coming in, imported fruit, and demand for damsons dropped and fell away. Mm. So we didn't plant as many trees, and they died off. 60s, 70s, something like that. During the war, of course, there was uh, rationing on fuel. So I used to ride round the, with the truck picking damsons up, and then we used to take them to... Kendall Railway Station, and they went by rail to Manchester. These damsons, what we used to take to the railway station, I reckon they would be jammed when they got to the... Uh, <laughs> because they were, we used to put them in, like, panniers with the lid on. It's interesting and, talking about the railway station because our president, Peter Carton of the Damson Association, gave talks on the damsons. He died uh, last year. And um, he went to one of his talks and somebody said, oh, my husband um, used to work at the railways. He always said that uh, we always were waiting for the damsons to come, then we could take them home for our wives. So before the damsons got to their destination, <laughs> there was a toll taken off by the <laughs> railway staff. <laughs> but yeah. everybody gave good weight in those days, so it wouldn't be noticed. No, no. Days moving on, we've started late today. What is it, fourish? It's going to be neat. <laughs> it's going to be neat. <laughs> and you've got that lovely escarpment and you're looking across to the village of Brigsteer. What's the relationship of this community with Brigsteer? Are they two very distinct communities? Brigsteer was really a peat-cutting village in the past. A lot of the people earned their living cutting peats and cutting them and selling to Kendall. Right. But it had died out by about 1900. So ac across this flat valley, which is it's about a mile and a quarter, mile and a half across, you say they were peat cutting out there? Well, they've been cutting peat since the early Middle Ages and gradually it's been forced back to where you see it now. It's yep. all gone in, up, up the chimneys yep. and uh, into Kendall. Every person was granted a peat right, weren't they, yeah. in the Hevisham Award? And uh, the last peat that we cut was the year my dad was killed and we'd cut the peat, uh, but we never harvested it because I hadn't the time. And um, that was 1960. But, of course, since then, uh, environmentalists and everything preserving peat because of the cow and storage. And so they had a big scheme on this moss here, didn't they? Desmond? Yes, the Seven Hill moss. Where they re-wetted it, if you know what I mean. They built buns right round and re-wetted it. So when did it start to be drained? The first Act of Parliament. Yeah. 
1803, during the Heversham Mosses and the, uh, and the Life Mosses, the What spurred it? What spurred it? Agricultural improvement. Yeah. Desire to, to create more food, the Napoleonic Wars. Ah, yes. The population rising in the late 18th century, everything. And th once they did that, they discovered that there was a tremendous rich fertility out there that was could be... Well, they could grow crops, certainly, which they couldn't previously. No. But it had to be drained by hand. Uh, the, the infrastructure was put in, you know, the, the main dikes and the sluices. Yeah. Uh, but the farmers then had to drain the fields, dig trenches and put in first the speed drain, so-called. Mm -hmm. They simply dug a trench with a narrow spade. Mm -hmm. and then cut a slot in the bottom and there's a special tool for, for using and I've got one, probably the last one wow. uh, and then put a sod over it over the channel they constructed then filled in and that drain would last 20-30 years until the tile drains came along Quite. and then when there was more money they put in tile drains uh, also there was paring and burning initially to get off the rough scrub they cut it with a, a breast plough and, uh, and burnt the rubbish initially. And the horses uh, who had to work it were fitted with patterns on their hooves. Oh, to be able to cope with So the they could cope with it, yes. yes. Give them more traction. Traction. Yeah, so, so the farmer had to put his drains in uh, and then clay it. Uh, yes. The peaty soil had to be clayed. And to do that, they dug uh, pits. It's called marl. Marl, yeah, marl yes, yes. marl pits. Uh, and that, again, is pretty heavy work. The drainage uh, in our youth wasn't anywhere near what it is at present uh, because um, since the uh, 1980s they put several pumping stations up and now the, some of those are, are, are defunct but um, they've actually installed two pumps at the main sluice at Ulfa and I have never ever seen uh, the flood water disappear as fast as it did this time off the land. Well, we had a bit of a perspective on the farming life, the activities and the setting. Like everything about the countryside, it's really about people. And the society of people who live in this place matter and always have done. You've been part of it. Have you any particular fond memories of events celebrating this valley? I do remember uh, when the old school behind us, after I went to the school on the hill, the house school, and we had a bonfire uh, for Prince Charles's birthday. <laughs> so that must be a time ago. It's 71 years ago, isn't it? Yes, it will. Well, it and I remember it was well. Hartley's grandfather who lit the bonfire. Well, I, <laughs> you see, Crossway in life, after the First World War, uh, memorial halls were built in most villages, around here anyway, and, of course, Crossway has a wonderful village hall. Just after the uh, Second World War, um, there was uh, a firm came and showed films once a fortnight in the village hall. Mm. And, uh, you know... Melvin's Mobile Cinemas. Yeah, and it was uh, Tonto and his uh, Wonder Horse or something like that. Oh, and, the uh, and then, of course, uh, there's a bowling green at Crossway, which uh, is uh, very popular... And uh, there's a discussion group. We've got the Damson Association. We had for coronation, there was a big uh, procession from... Because mm. most of these new tractors, what had been oh. bought... <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. they all uh, They were all in a procession down the valley with yes. 
uh, floats and dancing girls, and there was a, a queen. And uh, we had the crossroad horse trials. And crossroad show, Desmond. Yes, there was a crossroad show which, in the past, used to alternate with underbar. Crossway underbar show. But yes, we had a crossway show. Wasn't there a horse racing on top of Scout Scar? I own it. You you own it, you mm. say? Well, <laughs> well, that wasn't it. The Kendall, so, the Kendall Race Course. You own Kendall Race Course? Well, Kendall that's Race. different from Damson growing yes, anyway. It is, yes. <laughs> <That's> diversification. <laughs> uh, you're, you're a little bit older than me, but you look like by your attires if you do a lot of work. So have you retired either of you? Not really. Uh, I still have the farm to maintain the land and uh, now I have to uh, see to the drains and the ditches and uh, walls and uh, and pick the damsons and try to keep the wolf away from the door. That's what a grafter was, somebody who dug ditches. So you're a, a lifelong grafter, I would say. I think he means cleaning out the ditches, don't you? Rather than digging the ditches. <laughs> and we we do it. It's called sloughing them out. We have a, a special tool called a slough. Yes. That uh, is wood and metal tipped, so the clay doesn't stick to it. I have a better spade. It's called a cabota. It's a mechanical digger. Yes. <laughs> your retirement, Desmond. It, it, I look at your trousers. They don't look like a man who's sitting on the sofa a lot. I've got my orchards in hand. I look after the orchards. A bit of walling and hedging and that sort of thing. I don't see much appetite for retirement in either of you. No, we we can't give up completely. No. Wouldn't last long. I remember the local auctioneer, Harold Hodgson, being asked, when are you going to retire? And he said, not for a bit yet. At Varisee and (laughs) D. Oh, yeah, well, I don't think uh, there's any incentive for, uh, I mean, we live in a beautiful place uh, and uh, work uh, in this area. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. It's Absolutely. a pleasure, yes. I get the impression that uh, damsons have still got an appeal to people. In fact, I know my son and his fiance have just planted a dozen in their uh, allotment. And uh, do you sense that there's, there's uh, an appetite for keeping that whole orchard activity going? There's quite a demand for dams and suckers. The uh, society um, sells suckers all over the country, actually. I think one of probably the biggest uh, advantages we've got today is the freezers, because you can have a continuity of supply if you've got a freezer, uh, whereas years gone by, there was no facility for keeping the damsons only by bottling it or making it into jam, whereas now you can put the fruit just into a freezer and take it out any day, and and it's a usable uh, commodity. The society, the dam society, does buy them off its members and um, puts them in the cold store, and we sell them throughout the year, you know, to restaurants and people like that. There is a market for them, yes. Interesting thought. Have you got a favourite damson recipe that you could share with our listeners? Damson pie. And uh, it's uh, basically you just uh, put your damsons into some pastry and put a top on, plenty of sugar, and when you take it out with a little bit of cream, uh, there's nothing to beat it. No, I'm just damson jam. You know, my wife and I make it... Pound of damsons or a pound of sugar. Whoa. <laughs>
<laughs> Absolutely nothing wrong with that as a notion. Well, the, that's the, the shadows are lengthening and it's been a wonderful late afternoon conversation. And, and I'm looking out across this valley, which you call home. And what's your thoughts, Desmond? Oh, it's, it's just a deep sense of satisfaction to be able to see a land and the hedges and boundaries and the trees growing on it and know that you're, 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 you're part of that. I think that uh, it's a wonderful place to live. Uh, if I go away for the day and I turn in at Gilpin Bridge there and I look up the valley and I can see the Kentmere Hills and uh, High Street and such like as that, uh, what could you have better? I've been Switzerland and all these places, uh, but uh, I don't think there's anywhere else I would like to live. We've got that critical moment in our hearty conversation which is quick-fire questions, where I surprise you with a, a question that uh, puts you on the spot. So as that vehicle just goes by, Desmond, what is your first Lakeland memory? Uh, well, I suppose Grasmere Sports, going to Grasmere Sports as a child, you know, the great right. gathering of the wrestling and all the rest of it, you know, the traditional Lakeland scene. It's a great yeah, gathering of people, yes, isn't yes, it? Yes. Olympic Games of the Lakes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> is, is it true of you, Hartley? You've got a first memory of the Lake District? Yeah. Well, I used to go to Windermere for my holidays and uh, we used to spend an awful amount of time on the Windermere Lake in the, in the rowing boats. And we used to go onto the little islands and and have war games sort of style and oh, swallows and Amazon, yes you know. and uh, and then I was telling somebody yesterday one of our highlights was we used to go up to the railway station and in those days it was steam trains mm -hmm. and I don't know why but the the engine always had to be the front for some reason and so you had to turn it round on a turntable yeah. and me and my mate and uh, the others used to push this th train round, and that's my first memories. Wow, it's a bit like La Ratty, they have those yeah. turntable there, don't they? OK, we haven't got a great deal of fells here, but we have some, and Desmond, have you got a favourite fell? Whitbarrow, I suppose, behind us, yeah. As a child, I used to walk around it, you know, and it was sort of my uh, Wild West, yes. know, this unexplored territory. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's a wilderness, you know, of, yes. of water on limestone and yew trees growing among them. It's Fascinating a... place. Hartley, have you got a favourite mountain in the Lake District? Well, uh, similar to Desmond, my favourite mountain is Whitborough, and uh, I spend uh, every hour that I have available up there. I photograph the, uh, there's an abundance of butterflies, of several different varieties. There's a Duke of Burgundy up there, which is quite rare. Um, and uh, as a boy, I used to go up with my dog uh, and catch... Uh, uh, the dog would set the rabbits and put them into a, a clink, and then I used to pull the rabbits out, and I used to get half a crown off the fishman uh, when he came round with his uh, travelling cart uh, for the rabbit. Um, Desmond, have you got a favourite Lakeland food? I always used to like uh, Brennan's pork pies made in Kendall. <laughs> they, do, they don't make them anymore. Oh, by <laughs> God, that sounds like a chunky meal. Hartley. Well, I, I like uh, hot pots because just after I left school, we used to go on communal threshing days uh, around the valley. Each farmer had a threshing day and you used to go and you used to get, every time you went to threshing, it was always hot pot uh, and usually rice pudding 
with dumps and jump. I still, to this day, I still like hot pop. Magic. You can't forget that. Desmond, have you got a favourite view? I think the, the view um, going over um, under Barascar, looking north at the mountains, is my favourite view. My favourite view is going over Gummershaw. And, and when you go down the other side and you look over the Lakeland Fells and you see the lake and the steamers, uh, and I think it's one of the nicest views in Cumbria. An unfailing joy. OK, then, Desmond, if you were the Prime Minister for a day, what one thing would you do to safeguard the landscapes of Cumbria? It's almost impossible to, to, to prevent change. Landscapes are continually changing. We, we have stewardship grants now for planting trees. I would make sure those things carry on into the future. Looking after the place. Yes, as best we can. Not too much building. Not too much building. No. Uh, Hartley, have you got a sense of destiny of what you would um, hope to achieve if you were given one opportunity to do something? We're nearly reaching saturation point uh, at certain places in the Lake District, and I think probably the only way to solve the situation is either to make the M6 into a toll road uh, or do a park and ride system. I went to a, a meeting one night where they envisaged that there would be driverless buses going round the Lake District, uh, uh, but I wouldn't like to meet one in Winster. <laughs> Final question then. Um, when the sad day comes, and I'm sure it's going to be some time off yet, when a few friends gather to remember you, is there a special place where your ashes or remains you would like them to rest? Desmond. I have to meet the church warden, Matthew, uh, shortly uh, to uh, decide where I'm going to be buried and mark it with a, with a, a marker. Oh! With my name on it. <laughs> so I'm erecting my own tombstone. Your ex marks And that will be in Crossway Churchyard. Oh, that's fabulous. <laughs> that's fabulous. It has a nice view. Well, that's it. <laughs> How about your eternity view at Hartley? Well, mine will be scattered on Whitborough. I've told the family that I want to be taken straight to the uh, crematorium. No fuss because there's a lot of the eulogies uh, are read at these funerals and uh, it's always praising the man uh, and I might not get the same praise. So <laughs> <laughs> I would like to uh, just uh, and have a good wake for my all my friends. That's key. And then uh, my ashes be scattered on Whitborough. Marvellous. A friend of ours, he uh, had lived all his life at Sunside and he wanted to be scattered into the bay, you see. So... Um, his uh, family waited till a high tide and, of course, went, walked along the river bank and threw the ashes out and it came a big wave and the next thing they were back on the bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's been a super afternoon. It's getting chilly now. It's, I hope it's not going to be a frosty evening. There's a bit of a mantle of cloud over our heads, but the, there's been a great pleasure talking with you, both Hartley and Desmond. Very special evening. Uh, we've never properly covered this kind of topic before in Country Stride, but we've had great fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.
conversation end. The sun dipping down now over the lithe valley, casting those shadows. The wild garlic still thick in the air. Lovely evening breeze. And uh, a gem of a conversation there, Mark. A little bit of a left-field conversation for Country Stride, but very, very enjoyable. I've never sat down to do a, a walk before, but we didn't need to walk far today because we, we travelled over a great deal of time and uh, emotional and warm feeling of connection with this landscape. These were two chaps who really love being here and know it inside out and have a, a very wide view of it as well. Clearly loved each other's company as well. Yeah. It's hard for you to get a word in edgeway somewhere, Mark, which doesn't <laughs> yes. often happen. It's lovely to get that uh, two-way conversation where I wasn't one of the two ways. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anything strike you particularly about the conversation, Mark? I was interested to, to know about the, the drainage of the valley and how that came about and how that has changed the, the farming patterns subsequently. And those memories of the of the horses, the yeah, last of yeah. the days of the horses. Oh, there were some lovely little touches about last stages of farming and the farming changes that they've spotted. They seem to remember back 20 years before me, and I, and I thought I was old at 72. But <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my memory is as good as theirs. And no. I, I think I'm... A couple of years younger, shall, shall <laughs> yeah, we say. You're a couple of years younger than me then, Dave. So the usual housekeeping. If you've enjoyed today's episode, there are many, many dozens more at www.countrystride.co.uk. We are on social media. Twitter and Facebook at Countrystride1. Please do follow us and um, give us a like or two there. Equally, if you do enjoy the podcast, please do give us a review on your podcast provider of choice. We always appreciate that. If you want to contact us at any time or have any ideas about a podcast you'd like to see us record, then please do get in touch at the website. Uh, but that's it from today, I think, isn't it, Mark? From Absolutely. the Live Valley in the south of the county. We're signing off after... A very genial couple of hours sitting in the sunshine and we're saying thank you for joining us on Country Stride. And thank you all for listening. It's been great fun. The shadow's getting longer now, boys, but uh, but my enthusiasm for your outlook is uh, undinted by the elements. It was a lovely calm evening now. Um, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> your twilight thoughts. Yeah, your twilight. Yeah. Say the stars as you're beginning to twinkle. <laughs> <laughs>